0: The Business of Being Brilliant, where I explore the human side of work. I talk to business leaders, academics, authors, workplace experts, and other professionals about when they've worked at their best and when they floundered. We find out how to change organisations for the better so that everyone can flourish. I'm your host, Helen Beedham, organisational expert, speaker, and author of the business book, The Future of Time. How Reworking Time Can Help You Boost Productivity, Diversity and Well-Being. The book launches on the 28th of February. In this first series, my guests and I delve into the question of how we manage our time at work. From coping with time pressure to reclaiming time for the things that really matter, join us for a dose of honesty and positivity to help you and your organisation succeed. You can catch the podcast on all major podcasting platforms, on YouTube, and on my website at helenbeedham.com, where you'll also find the show notes. I'd love to hear your views too. You can find me on LinkedIn and Instagram at Helen J. Beedham, and on Twitter at Helen Beedham. Now, let's crack on with this week's episode. Welcome to episode five of The Business of Being Brilliant, which is going out on Monday, the 28th of February. If you've listened to one or more of my previous episodes, you'll know that this is also launch day for my business book, The Future of Time. So forgive me if you hear just a little bit about the launch goings on in my news today. The most time-sensitive update is that until midnight on Monday, the 28th of February, you can buy the Kindle edition of The Future of Time for just 99p on Amazon, instead of the usual £7.99. So bag your copy now and tell your friends and colleagues. You can also buy a gift link as a present for someone. So if you need to butter up your boss or fix their poor time management, here's the perfect opportunity. I'm recording this on Friday the 25th of February between snatches of the latest news about the horrifying invasion of Ukraine by Russia. It's sobering and deeply worrying, and it feels surreal to be surrounded by tranquil, untroubled countryside when something that is so momentous for all the wrong reasons is taking place further across Europe. The people of Ukraine are in my thoughts and prayers today. Meanwhile, the sun is shining innocently here, The daffodils and crocuses are out, and even the first hyacinths are starting to unfurl. It's a very welcome sight after the last week of storms, although being confined to the house by Storm Eunice on my birthday did have some advantages. It meant I could put my feet up, eat cake and completely overindulge. It was bliss. It was also fuel for the busy week ahead. My London launch party for The Future of Time took place on Wednesday evening at the wonderful London Review Bookshop in Bloomsbury. It was deeply exciting to see loads of copies of The Future of Time on display in a real life bookshop for the very first time. And just wonderful to welcome around 30 work friends, collaborators and clients. Plus my publisher, Alison Jones of Practical Inspiration Publishing for such a joyful occasion. I've been posting a few photos on my social media channels, so take a peek when you're online. And don't forget to look out for The Future of Time in your local bookstore. You could be in with a chance to win a free signed copy if you spot it and post a photo on social media anytime up until midnight on Friday the 18th of March. Just remember to tag me and use the hashtag thefutureoftime terms and conditions are at www.thefutureoftime.co.uk. My mother has already texted me excitedly this week to say that she has spotted it in her local Waterstones but since she's already bought copies for everyone she knows plus she's a family member she's out of the running. It's been both tricky and also restorative these past few days to grab just a few minutes here and there To keep up with my 2022 reading challenge, Reclaim Time to Read, where I'm aiming to read 50 books in 52 weeks, alternating fiction with business books and other non-fiction. I'm not quite halfway through this week's book for week eight, which is The Dinner by Herman Koch, billed as a darkly disturbing tale of family life, and it's a complete contrast to last week's journalistic no filter. It features two couples meeting for dinner. The book's structure is organised around the stages of the meal and the suspense is building steadily. If you've read it, I'd love to hear how you found it. And what did you make of the central male character? He is entertaining me and driving me nuts in equal measure. This week's read is the classic that is Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I've read tons of business and psychology books over the years, but somehow I missed this one out. So I'm interested to see how Covey has laid his thinking out. All the books are listed on my website at helenbeadham.com forward slash 2022 reading challenge. And I post weekly updates on my social media channels. On to other news and bookings are now open for my upcoming public webinars on the future of time at work. The first one's at 12 noon UK time on Wednesday the 16th of March. The second is at 11 am UK time on Tuesday the 26th of April. At both these events, you'll discover the six traits of organisations that manage working time successfully and lots of practical examples to borrow with pride. You'll discover three ways to get reworking time on your business agenda, how to role model time-intelligent leadership and how to manage working time successfully across a team. Tickets are £25 per head and the booking link is in the show notes. And I'm the guest on this week's episode of my publisher's podcast, The Extraordinary Business Book Club, where Alison Jones goes under the cover of successful business books to find out how they were put together. So tune in for the inside scoop on the future of time. Let's move on to my conversation with this week's guest, where we talk about stepping outside our comfort zone and being transparent about our working habits. Have a listen. Hi, this week I'm talking to Michelle Newton Michelle is the International Benefits Transition Leader at GE Corporate, the American multinational conglomerate employing over 90,000 employees. She's worked there for 15 years and currently heads up their pension, benefits, rewards, and wellbeing programmes globally. At the same time, she is unpicking and separating out their benefits arrangements as GE simplifies and splits into three public companies. Michelle actively promotes a balanced work life and positive mental health and is a well-being ambassador. In her spare time, she is a long-distance runner and chair of the popular Selby Striders Running Club in North Yorkshire. Welcome to the business of being brilliant, Michelle. Thanks, Helen. It's great to have you with us. Have you been out running today already? <laughs> uh, I have this morning, yeah,
1: yeah, so I like to get it done before the day starts. So yes, I'm ready to go now.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And to get us started, how would you describe yourself? Or how would others describe you? Can you give us three words that give listeners a feel for who you are in your work life and and at home? Yeah, so
1: this was a good one. I actually asked colleagues and friends what they would uh, say. And there was a really common theme across all of them. So professional and personal. So I'll use those three words. So the words that came to uh, the table were uh, that I was enthusiastic. So in terms of my approach and my language and body language, I'm really curious. So I'm taking it as a compliment in that I'm not nosy, but I just like to ask questions about things. Uh, and that I'm inclusive, so I like to make sure that everyone is involved or those that want to be involved can be. So I thought they were really good three words. And when I reflected back on them
0: felt they were actually true to my personality and probably my leadership styles too. Uh, that's great to hear. Thank you. And as I mentioned in the introduction, you've obviously been working at GE for a long stretch of your career. And no doubt, you've had lots of different work experiences and roles within that. When you think back about your career so far, when was there a time when you felt you have particularly flourished? And if so, why was that? Or what helps you generally to flourish at work? So within 15 years
1: of GE, there's probably been multiple different stages, but what really has pushed me in terms of my career and probably personal life is um, a project that I was asked to leave in terms of a secondment. So this was a global project um, and the colleague that was running it, project manager was going on maternity leave. So this had huge exposure outside and inside GE. And the lady that was leading it was hugely influential in leadership. So it felt like huge shoes to fill and and quite a lot of exposure as well. So there's a lot of risk in terms of if you step up, are you able to fit those shoes? So it's a daunting concept. I was very flattered to be asked, but also very nervous about stepping into it. So I did. I had great support and mentoring through that role, but I had the opportunity really to develop myself by learning in the job and people investing their own time in helping me do that. So out of the 15 years of GE, I think that 18 months is probably the one that has stretched me most in terms of education and development wise. So that was a really good reflection period for me to say where did I flourish? And then when the project had come to a close and the lady had come back from her maternity leave, the feedback was when I went back to my own team, how they had noticed changes within my behaviour and leadership style, which were all positives. So before it had been, oh, well, this could have been a development need or this is maybe something you work on. Being outside of my comfort zone and having the opportunity to just go with what I felt was needed offers benefits now back in with my own teams. So that was a huge opportunity and that's where I've had really good feedback. That I flourish and been able to
0: bring positives back into our team too. That's really interesting to hear, and I love the way you've thought about not just what helped you to grow and stretch, but actually flourishing also meaning what you can bring and offer to others that you work with and perhaps you manage as well. That's a, a really thoughtful take on it. Did you? have that role in mind for yourself or were you quite surprised when they asked you to take it on did you have that oh help moment I don't know if I can do this (laughs) yeah
1: exactly that so as part of the project team actually reported into the lady who was running the project so I was support so it came as one of those are you sure you've asked the right person I'm reporting into you and now you want me to lead this huge project so it was one of those Can I do this moment? And I was really fortunate. The lady, she was a good mentor, she reassured me that. I wasn't going to be on my own and that there would be support and again the development opportunities from it so no I was really fortunate and um, I was lucky really brave enough to take that step because I suppose everyone likes to be within their comfort zone and it would have maybe been easier to say no I'm okay thanks I'll I'll stick to what I know and maybe hiring a consultant or see if somebody else could do it I was quite pleased that I did yeah and I was brave enough and felt uh, comfortable to step up to that role
0: that's great and great that you felt you had the support around you to have a confident go at it and to really grow into it and has there ever been a particular piece of advice that's helped you in your career that you've hung on to and come back
1: yeah so again probably linking back to the last probably three to four years GE is always a moving organization there is no day that's the same and it's being able to embrace that change so you have to be very fluid to it and people relate to your emotional intelligence when a change comes so I think my new approach to that is to embrace the unknown and almost embrace red so we use red in terms of something is um, scary or breaking uh, but it's not a case of that actually red could be the new challenge in terms of what adventure is ahead so I think I've had good mentoring again and good learning in terms of how to deal with change management and how to allow that period of adjustment to
0: happen, which I think is hugely valuable within GE. It sounds like part of that's about just getting comfortable with discomfort and uncertainty and trying to be curious about it instead of leaping to the negative thoughts or letting your fears overrule what you might plan to do. Yeah, and it's a
1: behaviour that doesn't come easily. We're all human at the end of the day. When change comes, we all have to absorb how does this impact me personally and how is this going to affect your own lifestyle? So it's being able to tweak your mindset. And I embrace that in GE now. I actually thrive on the change and the challenge culture because no day is the same. But, you know, what we're trying to achieve is for organisation or employee gains. So It's a continuous journey. It's never one that will always be completed. But I think
0: that is one of the things that we'll
1: continue to work
0: on. And I know from personal experience, but also talking to lots of other people in positions of leadership and responsible for influencing change, that when change is a constant can feel quite wearing, obviously looking after ourselves is important, having the right support networks around us. Has there ever been a time that you've looked back and thought that was a really tough time professionally for you where things felt really hard going? And if there was, what helped you move forward from that positively?
1: So again, it's probably linking back to the change culture and environment. So I've gone into one role and the leadership style ahead of me was completely different. It was very corporate, very quiet and almost um, a safe environment. You don't say anything outside the room unless it's agreed on. So I changed my behavior and leadership style to match that of the leadership that I was following. And I seemed to lose a little bit of my personality and productivity because I was too concerned around trying to mirror what the the other leadership team were doing. So again, that had a bit of a detriment to me because I was too busy on trying to be something that I probably wasn't going to be. Lost a bit of my personality and character along the way. So again, it was having feedback from people around me to give me that insight to say, you need to be you rather than we're a G corporate, but actually we all are unique in what we can deliver. So that was a challenging time because I wanted to demonstrate to the leadership team that I was on board. I fitted in with the organisation and the role of the time, but actually I was just slightly different in the way that I would do things. So that was a challenging time because I didn't want to demonstrate that was almost like a, a trouble cause or going off rail a little bit. But it was trying to influence them that actually people can have different kind of leadership behaviours but still deliver. And actually that creativity can bring... Different things to the table. Yeah, thanks
0: for sharing that. And also, what you said about wanting to fit in and fit the mold and almost trying to change your natural style of leading and working to to fit in. That's something that comes up so much in conversations with people. And I know anyone that, for all sorts of different reasons, might feel that they're slightly outside of the mold or have a few different aspects to the way they work or the way they think about things, I think that comment will resonate a lot with people who feel like, well, I do things slightly differently, or I think about things slightly differently. But so so true to be attentive to that, but not lose sight of your own way, which is really a big part of the value you bring, isn't it? Yeah, of course, I would agree. So moving on to get a little bit into the topic of the business book of mine that's coming out, The Future of Time, which is all about how we think about time and how we collectively manage our time at work to help us be more productive and healthier, and to help people from all sorts of different backgrounds and, and life situations to flourish in their careers. Time at work can be a real challenge. I mean, we live in an age of 24-7 business, email overload, short-term deadlines, etc., and very long working hours. Can I ask, how do you organise your time at work? You have a big global role, no doubt team members scattered around the globe. You find time for your running and for chairing the Selby Striders, which I'm sure is quite a commitment in itself. What are the time habits that work for you and where do things fall over time wise as well? Yeah. So again, because of my personal and my professional
1: life, I tend to be everywhere at the same time. So a running joke within GE and also my personal life is that on Harry Potter, Hermione has a little watch where she makes her go into places. And everyone's like, do you have one of those watches? Because you seem to be everywhere at the same time. I was, But no. So in terms of how I structure, and again, this would apply to GE and also my personal life, I'm hugely organised, probably Bordering on the line of too obsessive with it, but I diarize everything so everyone knows within G and also my family what. I'm doing so, I will block out time. I tend to do it on a Sunday for the following week. I will tend to structure okay, what's going on in my working world to how that's going to happen in my family life. Mm -hmm. I'm hugely fortunate that G is a massive fan of flexible working, so I do have that added advantage that I can balance both of those styles together. But I'm quite selfish with my time, so if I have a meeting invite through work, I will ask what the agenda is, what The objective is from me. I'm not a fan of calls if they are like one hour. I'll challenge, can we make that 45 minutes? Because everybody's diary seems to be back-to-back calls and you cannot go from one call to the other and have that focus on your next call. So I always challenge, can we cut this down to 45 minutes so I have 15 minutes to digest maybe before my next call or just have a bit of a break. I also try and avoid calls on a Friday. And again, the GE policy, well, the kind of guidance to suggest if you can avoid calls on Friday, then do because every call has an action. And what we don't want is to go into the weekend thinking, all right, I've got to deliver this for Monday or next week. So Friday is my opportunity to kind of prepare for the following week to say, "Okay, what admin or projects or what have I got to get ready for the week? So I can focus purely on planning ahead and how Mm -hmm. I'm going to use my time. And then I know, again, with my personality, I'm a morning person. That's when you're going to get the best out of me, you know, probably from the hours of six till 12, that's my flourish time. So I plan my calls. I know I'm going to have to really be on the money for and focus. Then if I have to do speaking or, you know, presenting, that's ideally when I would like to do it, Mm -hmm. subject to time zones. And then towards the afternoon, there are other calls. I tend to try and make them where I'm listening only or seminars where I'm dialing in. So again, paying attention, but not too much. I know that my sluggish zones are between probably two and four so. I'm fully aware of how I work like that so I think it's helpful if everybody else could have that concept to say actually yeah I'm a morning or an afternoon or an evening person and I think that definitely helps you mm. managing your day and how you can deliver things
0: more efficiently. Yeah definitely those are such interesting things to hear you talk about and I completely agree about reserving the important work or the difficult work for your peak energy hours whenever that is and it it doesn't always perfectly coincide with Mm -hmm. other people that you might need to be collaborating with but as a general rule it's a great way of thinking ahead and and planning your day and uh, when you talk about scheduling your time in advance both your work time and your home time do you schedule in downtime and rest time as well I'm always curious about that
1: yeah, so again, I block my diary out every day, usually from around twelve till 1.30. and that opportunity is to walk my dogs. Selfishly, and I'm very transparent around it. That's when I'll have my lunch and walk my dogs. So again, if there's a major call or meeting, then obviously, that will get prioritised. But I block my calendar out every day yeah. and encourage you know, other GE colleagues to do the same. And my people leader is also an advocate of doing that. And she was one that encouraged us to do that, to make sure that we step away. Because as you say, at the moment, everyone is 24-7, especially with home working. It's finding that balance that you could find you're logging on at 7 in the morning before school run or work starts, and then it's 9 o'clock at night before you've actually stepped away so I absolutely block that time out okay like let's just down tools
0: and have an hour out yeah that's great I know some people say oh it's easier to do that when you're in a more senior position because you have more control over your time and to a certain degree that might be true but it's really encouraging to hear you say you recommend that to others that you work with and that your boss is recommending that to you because that's how we can collectively encourage ourselves to to adopt healthier time habits is by setting really positive examples and, and, and actively encouraging people to do some of these things, step away from the computer at times that, that work for them. So it sounds like you have quite a lot of conversations about that at, at GE, which is great.
1: Yeah, and I think it links back to probably the well being side that I'm hugely passionate about is that I think people do need to have that balance and completely understand that those that are either customer facing or manufacturing and don't have that luxury have to be within a face to face role. I think there are still opportunities for them to be able to have that downtime. So it's how they use their breaks or their lunch breaks. You know, sometimes people will just continue or they'll um, sit on their phone or something it's like how could you use that time a bit more productively mm. rather than if they're being stuck in the same office or factory and um, there are ways that
0: you could break it up yeah sure is there a particular change that you're working on in your organization that really helps people to manage all of that to keep manageable sustainable productive working time
1: Yeah, so COVID forced everyone's hand to effectively work from home, which for GE was a huge learning because, uh, as you say, senior leaders would work from home, but call centres manufacturing would be office based, you'd have to be seen to be working. So that really changed our culture. Some people had never worked from home before. So it was a complete transformation for them too. And as you say, there was those that felt that they needed to be on all day, every day to demonstrate productivity. So it was a case of educating to say, actually, you don't have to be online 24 seven to demonstrate that you're working. Actually, it's anything It's going to be burnout and you're going to be making mistakes and tiredness. So we had a top-down approach. We had a campaign called "It's Health Ahead," so effectively it's a wellbeing program. And what we did is we asked our leadership, so this is a hugely like the G chain, to demonstrate how they were working with their days, and it's almost giving people blessing that they could go ahead and work within their normal times while they were in the home environment or they were doing a change of working patterns, because we had to demonstrate if the leadership team was on board, then actually it must be okay. So I think it was more a cultural change, Mm -hmm. especially for some of our employee profiling. We're predominantly male, uh, 50-year-old, average. So again, the ethic of our employees were that you have to work regardless of how or when. So it was a cultural change in how to manage time and how to work efficiently. So it's still going to be an ongoing campaign, but we do stuff every month now to give hints and tips to say, have you had your lunch break? And then we'll do little challenges like who can walk around uh, the office the most in terms of step challenges. And then we have the other side signposting for those that feel that they need support because maybe unfortunately they've gone over that threshold and that they are at burnout. And then going forward, it's looking at this new world. So like all organisations, geez, we're looking at our real estate. People are working from home. Is there now an opportunity for us to say, do people need to be in an office? Is that essential? And the feedback we're hearing is actually, yes, some employees like to step out of the home to go to an office because it separates that for them. And that's perfect and wonderful. So we're looking at different policies to say, if you want an office, there's an office for you. But if you're still slightly nervous or you've actually got used to this home working, there's also that possibility for you to work hybrid. So it's a learning curve for us in GE because mm. we have different cultures and we, are, I suppose, promote the positives of how to work um, and work efficiently using the time that they have.
0: That's all really good to hear. And interesting that you're approaching it with quite an experimental mindset as an organisation and having the dialogue with people about what some of the possibilities are, like the the direction you're moving in, but also not saying it's going to be one size fits all. And this is going to be the the policy everywhere. It sounds like it's going to be a lot more tailored than that
1: it's fluid as a say of GE because we have our five key businesses and globally and culturally across the world everyone within each region is different in terms of their behaviours yeah. so it'd be hugely difficult for us to say one size fits all we just can't do that in GE so we have to tweak what's right for our businesses and our leaders and again productivity so will, I think it will always be a moving policy or guidance and I think mean, the key thing is is that we just have our leadership demonstrating how they use it so the employees can see actually okay that's how it's working for them so if there's a change completely then they feel that they've got that kind of um, good faith that they can use that as well
0: yeah and I guess there's probably a big piece of work in there about educating and supporting line managers people who manage teams so that they know what the options are and how much flexibility they have to decide different arrangements what they can say yes to what they need to bear in mind is that a big piece of the change that you're working on
1: Yeah absolutely as I say because again at the end of the day productivity and GE has to deliver on what we're doing if we're building aeroplane engines or hospital equipment we still have to deliver so as you say our people leaders who have teams of 30, 40 people if they all have them saying I all want to work from home it clearly isn't going to work so there is a huge I suppose delegation and responsibility that will fall to our people leaders so with our HR colleagues we'll start offering them that support but again I mean Chester Transparent we say to them we don't have all the rules mm-hmm. at the moment we're just offering almost like pilots let's see what works for our employees and our businesses and see what actually the employees want because we may find that we're creating something that actually none of the employees want they're happy just to continue as they were before COVID so it's actually let's not build something that might not necessarily be needed yeah. So it's kind of done on a business-business level, but absolutely, it will continue to support the people leaders because it's a huge change, as you say, Helen, in terms of saying, I've now got 30 people that want to all work independently. How do I do that? And actually, I'm just employed to make airplane engines. I was never designed or, you know, recruited to do this. So, again, it is a change mm. in leadership style for them too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's fascinating to hear about. And uh, is there a particular resource, um, a book or uh, a video or a podcast or publication that you would recommend to listeners or viewers if they're watching the video that you find satisfies your curiosity and teaches you stuff?
1: Yeah, so I was looking at all the ones I've read and they're all kind of additional ones that probably everybody has read. So change management and all that. But there's one that I got recommended recently, probably about six weeks ago, and it's called Why Put a Bow Tie on a Llama? So it's the book, and it's by, I think it's Celia Gaze. And effectively, it's about an NHS senior leader. She was a director, and she just had a complete career change. So she had a farm that was broken down, but she was very passionate about well-being. So she was thinking, how could she put these two together? So her book kind of demonstrates how any crazy idea could be put together to make a sustainable business. So I think because of my personality of being slightly curious and the title alone, it was really interesting and quite fun, but her book was really insightful. So if anyone is looking at a career change or actually they have a crazy idea, they think, oh, this will never take off. She goes through an informal business plan within the book, but she makes it fun. And she also relates it back to how she puts it in with her personal family life so she gets her family involved and in things mm-hmm. so um, that was a really refreshing read rather than some of the old school books yeah where they go through different processes and hierarchy of needs and all that good stuff
0: oh that's a great recommendation thank you I had heard the title I haven't read it so you've reminded me to look it up and I've just embarked on a challenge of reading 50 books this year so roughly a book a week uh, a mix of business and some contemporary fiction so I'm hoovering up recommendations for filling my my next 48 <laughs> weeks of reading so thank that's you i'm interested idea. in that one and how can listeners connect with you after the podcast if they're keen to get in touch professionally uh, you can find me on linkedin that's probably the best route. okay Great. Thank you. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking with you today about your career and about all the wonderful work you're doing at GE. And so interesting to hear how, as an organisation and a team, you're rising to the challenges that today's world of work present. And good luck with it all. And thanks so much for sharing your advice and reflections with everybody today.
1: Thank you, Helen. It's been great.
0: Thank you. It was so interesting listening to Michelle's reflections on her career. She made a great point when she talked about being brave and saying yes to those daunting opportunities when our first instinct is to say no and stick to what we feel comfortable with. Of course, there's risk involved for us personally and professionally, but there are also some things we can do to increase our chances of success, such as seeking frequent feedback, having access to a mentor or supportive senior colleague, accepting that there'll be a transition period where things might feel uncomfortable and unfamiliar and not expecting yourself to adjust immediately to the new role. I loved Michelle's attitude of curiosity and the way that she's learned to look forward to potential adventures when she embarks on something new that might also be quite stretching and demanding. Embracing the unknown also brings this dilemma of how much we adopt the behaviours and mindsets of other, particularly senior colleagues, versus how much we stick to being our authentic selves and trust in our way of thinking and doing things. After all, as Michelle says, that's part of the value we uniquely bring to our organisations. And it was great to hear how Michelle manages the many demands on her own time and how she sticks to a few thoughtful principles in terms of dividing up her day and week. Key to making this work is being transparent with others about how you're managing your own time. And I was impressed by GE's Health for Heads initiative because it encouraged leaders to be more transparent about their own time habits. It is possible to change our culture around how we manage our time at work, but it does require a systemic effort and not just a one-dimensional approach. I hope this week's conversation has given you some food for thought and some ideas to take into your own work life and organisation. Next week, I'll be talking with Mitra Jaynes, Diversity and Inclusion Lead for two of HSBC Bank's three major businesses. Right, I'm off now to start the weekend before I spend launch day on Monday unhealthily glued to social media and the Amazon bestseller rankings. See you on the other side. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you have, please do share it with friends and on social media and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts to help other listeners discover the podcast too all the show notes are at helenbeadham.com forward slash podcast join me next week for another conversation about the business of being brilliant